Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast The History, the Journal of the Historical Association. This is episode three of our new series which explores different areas and branches of history and today we are looking at the Crusades. I'm joined today by the fantastic Katie Mortimer of Royal Holloway, University of London, who is researching representations of Crusader Muslim diplomacy in Western medieval texts. Her current research interests include intercultural contact, narratology and memory. She has recently published an article in Medieval People on networks of crusading and introductory overview of digital resources for research into people, place and space. And she has a chapter on crusading cannibalism for an edited collection of essays entitled Digesting Cannibalism, Revisiting Representations man-eating crusaders in narrative sources for the first crusade in chronicle crusade and latin east essays in honor of susan b edgington just out in june 2022 so thanks for joining us today katie firstly for those who might be unfamiliar with the topic can you give us a brief overview of the crusades themselves yeah of course so In a way, this seems like a really straightforward question, what were the Crusades? Um, But it's actually one of those quite thorny and complex answers to give. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about uh, the traditional crusading period, um, or what we refer to as the traditional crusading period. And then I'll kind of give you a little bit of an overview, if you like, if, if that's of interest, as to why that's a tricky sort of question and where we can go from there. So When I say the traditional crusading period, I'm talking about the Crusades to the Holy Land uh, with the dates 1095 to 1291. And these were a series of military expeditions aimed sort of broadly speaking at fighting Muslim powers around sort of the Eastern Mediterranean. In the year 1095, what we have is Pope Urban II at the Council of Clermont issues a call to arms and he encourages people to leave their homes to take up arms and to march across western Europe through Greek land so through Byzantium and down the eastern coast of the Mediterranean with the aim of capturing the holy city of Jerusalem for Christian powers. Uh, Jerusalem had been at this time in Muslim hands for sort of over 400 years and the aim was sort of to recapture in inverted commas, for Christianity, because this is this is the holiest site in the world. This is where Jesus walked. It was important for them to sort of go, and they felt they wanted to do that. So what happens is you have this great force of people going to the Holy Land between about 60 and 100,000 people marching and taking part in a four-year-long, very arduous campaign. Ultimately, this is, uh, against all odds, a successful Christian campaign, They take a number of strongholds in the Near East, such as the uh, city of Antioch, the city of Edessa, and eventually in July 1099, they, after a six-week-long siege, besiege and capture the holy city of Jerusalem, which very famously ends in a very bloody massacre, sort of lasting about, well, on average about two days or so, but some sources say even up to three days. After this happens, a number of crusaders return back to they return to the west and a number of others remain in the holy land and they establish a number of polities known as the crusader states or frankish outremer in the middle ages which means the land beyond the sea and these are the kingdom of jerusalem the principality of antioch and the counties of edessa and tripoli so while the first crusade was aimed at ultimately recapturing jerusalem the rest of the 200 year period 
basically revolved around defending these new polities from growing sort of strengthening Muslim forces over the period. So for example, the Second Crusade was called in response to the fall of Edessa to the, uh, the Turkish leader Zengi in 1144. The Third Crusade was called in response to the Sultan Saladin's near annihilation of the troops of Outremer in um, 1187. So, so on and so forth. It was about sort of defending somewhat unsuccessfully their new strongholds. And eventually in 1291, what you have is the last crusade outpost of Acre falls to Mamluk forces. And that's really the end of the traditional crusading period. Okay, so that's obviously quite an extensive period, lots of action going on. It's a kind of a problematization with this period with these concepts and so on why is the crusades kind of a difficult area sometimes to interrogate a bit further yeah of course so first and foremost the word crusade did not exist in in the middle ages in sort of for at least the first 100 years or so there was no set way of describing crusading there was no blueprint there was no written how to be a crusader after around a sort of 100 years or so, we have the word cruce signatus popping up, which means to be signed with the cross. And so people start to understand what it might mean to be a crusader, but still there was, there was no set identification. And because of that, scholars today still debate. So, for example, some scholars will say, well, a crusade must be to the Holy Land. It must be papally sanctioned and there be, must be some form of indulgence involved. So the remission of sins was absolutely central to crusading. Go on crusade and basically, and it depended on the expedition um, and this varies, but you go on crusade and you, you your sins are washed away. And if you die on crusade, you, you get into heaven immediately. If you don't die on crusade, the idea is you kind of have a bit of a blank slate. Other people would say, actually, that doesn't necessarily need to be the case and would class holy war in other arenas, not against Muslims, not in the Holy Land as crusading. For example, listeners might be familiar with the Albigensian crusade in southern France against the Cathars who were heretics or perceived to be heretics. Similarly, you get later crusades as well. So beyond the 1095 to 1291 period, you have, say, the uh, the Hussite crusades, which are 15th century in modern day, well, Prague, they're in Bohemia um, at the time. So it's it's convoluted and there's no there's no agreed term for it. So this is why it's a bit problematic. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that explanation and that introduction to the topic. And how does your own research kind of fit into this study? So I, as you introduced it perfectly earlier, I work on narrative representations of Crusader Muslim diplomacy in Western Christian texts. So I am interested in the reality of interfaith contact and interfaith negotiations in particular, but my research focuses very heavily on how people writing in the West chose to represent interfaith contact, specifically diplomacy. And I, I got into this for two sort of main reasons, and this taps into two sort of bigger historiographical questions. So again, listeners who perhaps uh, know a little bit about the Crusades or maybe even don't will probably be familiar with the so-called clash of civilizations paradigm, the uh, so-called Islam and the West question. And ultimately there's this idea in, in broader society and sometimes in, in medieval studies as well, that we're, we're dealing with Christianity and Islam, which are two diametrically opposed religions. 
and actually the history of people of these faiths and, and cultures and sort of people around the world is it, it does not back that up at all. So I'm interested in interrogating that sort of clash question. And then sort of building on that, the second point is that we've known for a long time that throughout the crusading period, the traditional crusading period and beyond, that for Christians and Muslims, and then on top of that, Jewish people as well, um, etc., all sort of have at different times cohabited together, they form peace treaties, negotiations, and we've known that as soon as the first crusaders stepped foot in the Holy Land, and perhaps even before, they sought to negotiate with the Muslims of the Near East. So it wasn't even that they were negotiated with, it seems that they reached out to these people. So for example, the First Crusaders had an alliance for at least part of the First Crusade with the Fatimids of Egypt. This broke down for a number of reasons, but they appear to have been introduced to this idea of negotiating with the Egyptians by the Byzantine emperor. So we know that this was kind of an aim and an agenda, but modern historians have thought that even though we know this happened, actually this wasn't represented in the sources and that medieval authors, predominantly monks, were uncomfortable with the idea that people would negotiate terms during holy war. And my thesis, again, interrogates that question because I am not convinced by that. I think sometimes that's the case and sometimes you'll see glossing over of the evidence. But ultimately, when you read the chronicles that come down to us as sort of longer form stories, so really thinking about theme and plot, you can include the, the theme or the plot device, if you like, of interfaith negotiations and weigh it up against other aims and agendas. And actually, I would suggest that it's not always that important and people maybe ignored it or represented it in certain ways to bolster other themes that were more interesting to them. Fantastic, thank you. And obviously you've got quite a wealth of material to pick from in some instances, so it must be quite interesting to have to pick and choose which ones you want to look at. <laughs> um, I take a, um, a holistic approach really to the texts. So I've, I look at the First Crusade sources, there are, another, there are a lot of them as a group, and then I look at very specific texts as a whole, so one or two chronicles, because there are just there are too many to do um, <laughs> comprehensively. That would be that would be impossible for me for a PhD at least. <laughs> and in your kind of overview, you mentioned some key figures, which uh, names would be known to quite a few people. Who are these people? You know, who are some of the key figures in the history of Crusades that people might want to find out more about, either from like a biographical view or just actually maybe we don't know about them yet, and you think they're quite important to highlight. Okay, sure. Um, that's a really interesting question. So I'm going to start with a little bit of a cop-out answer and then I'll, I'll give you a proper answer. This is, in a way, it's hard to answer because we're talking about sort of 200 years of history that is, it's got so many sort of really important figures. So I mentioned the First Crusade. You might want to think about the, the, the church and the role of the church. So you could look at Pope Urban II, who's a fascinating character, you could look at the papal legate, someone called Adamar of Lepuy. I mentioned interfaith negotiations with the Fatimids of Egypt. I'm currently looking at differences between the crusade leaders who were all sort of fighting with each other and were key figures and important figures. I say fighting, sort of politically fighting with one another. Um, so you've got Beaumont of Toronto and you've got Raymond of Saint-Gilles who are fascinating that people might want to go and look into. 
my advice for anyone interested in looking at key figures would be to read general histories of the crusades first and to see who pops up and to see really what they're interested in you know i i'm often asked you know why am i interested in sort of these in inverted commas sort of great men of history and i just really i really like high politics and drama so that for me is fascinating but other people might want to learn more about say the queens of jerusalem or whatever it is and then if they go away and they read the general histories then they'll they'll find people to look into i think we'll move on to some of those figures a little bit later because kind of obviously you've just mentioned general history so what are kind of some of the current themes or trends in crusade studies right now that people are looking at and focusing on that's uh, that's a big question the the history of the crusades is, is a long history we're, we're talking from the time of the first crusade onwards and sort of traditionally interests have been very high politics high religious questions so questioning the extent to which they were morally good or morally bad but from the the middle of the 20th century onwards people have taken a greater interest in social history of the crusades and i think a lot of the the modern trends and interests in crusade studies sort of really stem from that so over the past sort of 30 or so years there's been an absolute explosion in research into uh, crusade studies so for example memory is key to understanding the crusades and this is research into the memory of the crusades in the middle ages themselves but also in the modern era as well so you have a lot of research into how people have understood commemorated used and abused really the memory of the crusades sort of anything from statues to extremist views things like that but beyond that there's been a, a wealth of research into really exciting topics such as women and gender into interfaith contact as I said diplomacy but also um, sort of shared sacred space and also there's a lot of work going on at the moment which continues to be very exciting on on narratives as I said not just not just me little plug there but on narratives more broadly, and also on texts and codices, so manuscripts and how these stories are told and retold, not only as as words, but also sort of in their physical space. Fantastic, thank you. And how does that link in with some of the kind of big developments as well, perhaps over the last 10 years in terms of, are they quite interlinked? Do you think the current themes and trends are the biggest developments or have there been other changes? This is a really interesting question. I was talking about the sort of the development of this, the field uh, with a colleague recently, and we agreed that really actually probably memory studies is the biggest development and the reason for that is because all many of these topics that I just discussed actually intersect with memory in a really interesting way. And even people who perhaps don't think they're working on memory will often find that they are. So my way into it was looking at looking at texts and looking at these histories and thinking about how people represented whatever it was they were interested in but thinking about that and change over time as well and so actually within the middle ages you have individuals who are changing the stories as they go to suit political trends or how they want to commemorate certain figures so that's one example you also have memory of crusading through dynastic lineage and sort of families that go on crusade. Um, Nicholas Paul is a leading scholar in that field. There's a book called 
to follow in their footsteps, which he wrote, which talks about family memory and commemoration. And it taps into all sorts from from texts that are written to material culture and sort of the jewellery that people wear and how that fits in with what's going on in the wider world at the time. And you also have, as I mentioned earlier, sort of modern sort of medievalism and the Crusades. So a lot of work is being done at the moment on on the modern memory of the Crusades. So, for example, people are working on statues, which are a very timely discussion in in broader fields as well, you know, with sort of with Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on um, and commemoration of these figures that died years ago and what that really means for society. You know, why do we have a statue of Richard the Lionheart outside the Houses of Parliament? And what do people really think of that and what does it mean to them? So memory... I would say is the key theme that intersects with a lot in the study of the Crusades. Absolutely. And it's, you know, memory is something that applies to all of our works and fields. I don't think we can really look at the construction of texts or like you say statues or anything else without it. So that's really interesting. Now, Crusades, as with other kind of like areas of military history has often been seen as kind of the history of and written by men obviously a lot of the figures that we know are going to be male military leaders kings the popes and so on however there's been some excellent work done as you were mentioning on women and gender so by and about women in this area could you perhaps give us some recommendations for some of these works yeah of course yeah I mean medieval studies probably very broadly as well but crusades as you say as as a field of ultimately military history originally has suffered for being considered a a sort of a male dominated area of interest and one of the reasons for that I would say is because of the nature of a lot of the sources that we have had handed down to us so when we're reading I've I've talked about chronicles and when I say chronicles what I mean really are long-form histories that narrate the events that are taking place and a lot of these histories are very interested in the deeds of important men and what are deemed to be important men ultimately women are sort of they're just their side stories almost when they come in a lot of the time so it's been difficult to uncover their histories but in recent years lots of work has been done for example Susan Edgington, Helen Nicholson, Natasha Hodgson is a leading scholar uh, of both women and gender in the field and they've they've really uncovered the lives of women from sort of everyday people to queens I mentioned Natasha and she has very helpfully sort of given us a framework, if you like, for how we might think about women in the Crusades and examining them. So she's explained that we can look at women who went on crusade or women who stayed back home in Europe and how they into how they engage with crusading there. Women who lived in the Crusader states once they were established. And she also mentions women who were affected by the Crusades as well. So these are really interesting ways to think about the history of women within this context. Definitely. I mean, as, as you know, I'm a historian of queenship and gender and women more broadly. So it's so interesting to see how those topics fields develop across different fields. And I think the Queens of Jerusalem tend to be quite a big draw in terms of interest. If you've got an interest in women and queenship, then Jerusalem is an interesting case point. Are there any works there that might be worth people looking into if they want to find out about a particular queen, for example, Sybil or Melisande or anyone? 
Yeah, there was a wonderful biography of of Queen Sybil, who you mentioned just now, sort of a late 12th century queen of Jerusalem um, that recently came out, uh, written by Helen Nicholson. But I, I'm keen to sort of push beyond queens. I'm sorry. I mean, I know I'm, like, I'm talking to you, Gabby, and I, I'm just heretical, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but I, I think there's a lot to be said of just looking at the, the everyday lives of women as well as best we can. And it, it is tricky to tap into that because the lower down the social scale you go, the fewer the sources, ultimately. But so, for example, we talked about, oh, I'm going to go and talk about queens now. Actually, we talked about women who go on crusades. So th- I'm not recommending a source necessarily for this, but you could look into Eleanor of Aquitaine, for example, who you're obviously very interested in, or Berenguer of Navarre, who famously both were there on crusades, Eleanor on the second and the third, Berenguer on the third. So you could look into women in that way. Someone who pops up time and again and is often referred to as someone called uh, Margaret of Beverly or Margaret of Jerusalem, who was a pilgrim, ultimately, who ended up in Jerusalem, well, depending on how you want to remember this, at the wrong time or the right time, um, when Saladin besieges the Holy City. And she's if the right time if you're interested in finding the histories of women, the wrong time if you're her. And she's involved in d- trying to defend the holy city of Jerusalem and there are some interesting anecdotes there as well and you can find out about a lot of these women in Natasha's book which is women and the crusades in medieval history writing I believe and she talks extensively about different categories so wives daughters and things like that so that recently came out in paperback so my main piece of advice for reading about women in the crusades would be to start with Natasha and then and then go from there. Thank you. I've got it and it is a fantastic book and you are right, we do need to look at women lower down the scale and kind of pick through the evidence a bit more because as as you've said, as Natasha points out in her book, they are there. It's just that little bit more digging that we have to do to find them sometimes. Now, what kind of topics within crusades do you think you'd like to see research next what kind of areas do you think need a bit more exploration or would you like to see some work come to fruition on there's I I don't know that there are any areas that I specifically I specifically want sort of sudden new light shed on but there's I, I would argue for more of the same really so I know that we've said that there's been an explosion in research in sort of the last 30 years but we are still kind of just scratching in many ways at the surface of that so for example a lot of work has been done has started to be done as we've just spoken about on women but there's still more to learn both in terms of women in in the crusader states and also women back in home at home and how they engage with crusading equally gender as well pushing it further work has been done on gender in the crusades but you can go further and for example I know that Natasha is working on a project on gender so and she she's explained that there's a a lot of different avenues to pursue there for me one of the key most exciting areas comes from interdisciplinary research with colleagues from other areas as well so I think we can all probably agree that the the COVID-19 pandemic was horrific for everyone for a number of different reasons one of the small glimmers of I think hope that kind of came out of it was I found that in in the field there's been sort of a greater community effort from everyone sort of 
beyond different fields working one with another simply because we've all taken to zoom or teams or whoever it is we're with and we're no longer having to go to conferences far away all the time but we can work and learn from each other so there's there are projects underway at the moment whereby people are coming together who work on uh, material culture and charters and legal documents and so on and so forth in Europe. There are people working on um, areas of history, say, in, in medieval, medieval Europe or, for example, Arabic history writing that relate to the Crusades in some ways, but the main focus isn't on that. But when we all kind of come together and look at it, there's a lot to learn in that respect. And I think that's very exciting. And probably finally, sorry, just before we move on, there's a lot, as I've spoken about medievalism, and then there's a lot of exciting work on medievalism. And the study of the Crusades is a really great network of researchers who combine their interests anyway. So what we have is a lot of medievalists and um, modernists who work on the medievalism coming together and really interrogating the history as a whole. And I think more of that as well. There are people coming through that continue to work on that. So just really more of that so that we can fully understand the picture. Great. Thank you so much. And, you know, I would agree as an outsider that those all sound like really interesting and fruitful areas of exploration. And again, kind of hit the nail on the head with the gender thing in terms of like looking at crusading masculinities and ideas of manhood ideas of femininity and all those kind of things that bound up into it would be a really interesting avenue to explore so thank you for those thoughts and hopefully you know whoever's listening might be like oh do you know what that can be our future little project to go and <laughs> yeah, uh, follow down so I suppose my last question for you is kind of what works or authors would you advise for the general public and indeed for scholars looking for an introduction to the topic and some of the latest research, like where should people start and what might people want to catch up with? So I can kind of, I suppose I can give you kind of two answers to this. So firstly, I mentioned earlier general histories of the Crusades. We have quite a, we have quite a few general histories of the Crusades, but many of them are still sort of written in the past sort of decade or so, are still, are still relevant and still cutting edge. So I would recommend perhaps Christopher Tymon's God's War is an excellent introduction to, to the topic, as is Jonathan Phillips's Holy Warriors. My, my personal recommendation, my personal go-to is always actually Thomas Asbridge's The War for the Holy Land. That really taps into my own interest in really interfaith contact, and it focuses very heavily on representing both sides of the story so that for me is is particularly interesting and I would recommend that as I've said earlier if you want a general introduction a very thorough introduction to women's history Natasha's book so there are lots of different books that you could look at and this leads me into my second recommendation a couple of years ago Andrew Holt who's a professor of history in in America reached out to a lot of crusade scholars and asked them for their sort of top 10 must read crusades books and there's a website available which we could link to that people can have a look at and I would recommend sifting through depending on whatever interests readers or listeners have there are works on that that I wouldn't necessarily recommend reading simply they're there because they've influenced the field or they've influenced that scholar in their area for example I wouldn't recommend someone go away and read 
Stephen Runciman's History of the Crusades anymore because it, it, it is quite outdated now. And as I said, there are other general histories that would be better, more up to date. But there are modern up to date histories in there as well. So it's about sifting through, but that's an excellent resource in itself. Perfect. Thank you very much. And yeah, we will definitely link to that website when we release the podcast so people can have a filter through and hopefully find some exciting new reads because uh, we never need an excuse to buy another book. So, <laughs> Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Katie. Thank you for having us discussion with me so we can have a bit of a walk through Crusades and I hope that our listeners have kind of learned a bit more about the Crusades, come away with some recommendations and ideas and can think a bit more going forward about what they might want to learn about and where we're up to with things. So thank you again, Katie. Thanks so much for having me.